0: Break the break through. Break the Break through. Break break Breakthrough. breakthrough. Break. Breakthrough, breakthrough. Break through. Break through. Break, 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 you are now listening to Breakthrough News. <laughs> it's 5 p.m. You're listening to Breakthrough News and this is the Punch Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch Out, back at our regularly scheduled time, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard, Monday through Friday, here on The Punch Out from Breakthrough News. And we've got plenty of good stuff for you here today on the 1st of April 2021, as we do every single day, Monday through Friday for you. We're going to be talking about a new study detailing issues around poison water in the United States. We're going to be talking about the context for increased violence in northern Mozambique. And we're going to start before those two important. important stories by touching on another absolutely critical story, and that is the coming, or really ongoing, now-began, battle around infrastructure in the U.S. Congress. Well, the abysmal state of U.S. infrastructure is a pretty well-known problem. The American Society for Civil Engineers, which Grades such things gives the U.S. overall a C-grade, but in individual areas, things are much worse. It offers D-grades in 11 of their 17 categories, including aviation, dams, hazardous waste, inland waterways, levees, public parks, roads, schools, stormwater, transit, and wastewater. Mm. Hazardous waste sounds bad, degrade. Joe Biden ran on addressing infrastructure issues, and this week has unveiled a $2 trillion over the next eight years infrastructure plan known as the American Jobs Plan. And it's set to be paid for by rolling corporate tax rates back to the low 28% rate where they were before the Trump tax cuts, as well as closing some tax loopholes in various corporate ways they say would fully pay for the $2 trillion. But nevertheless, it's already mired in controversy. Republicans are saying, well, they're going to reject it outright. They'll never vote for it, saying it costs too much, and it funds things that they don't consider to be infrastructure, especially long-term health care and also clean energy goals. Some within the Democratic Party have also been insisting here, especially the Congressional Progressive Caucus, the opposite, that the bill doesn't go far enough and that it needs to do more, both on legacy issues and to lay the groundwork for a more equitable and sustainable future. And, you know, they're certainly on to something because when you look at the bill, it's obvious that it doesn't actually meet the scale of the needs as it concerns infrastructure. And quite frankly, it speaks to how skewed the priorities of the country are, where everything is about what the plan cost in the abstract, not what it actually should be in reference to the need. And that's where we want to look right here. So $2 trillion over eight years. It's a neat trick that Biden's playing since the American Society for Civil Engineers which again makes the report card, sets the infrastructure spending, a uh, funding gap, I should say, at $2.5 trillion over 10 years. So it sounds roughly comparable, right? Meeting the scale of the problem. But there's a big difference. Biden's plan, of course, deals with many things that aren't addressed by the ASCE. So in fact, when it comes to many of the things we think of as infrastructure, the funding issues are actually well below what is actually needed to put it there, uh, to, to bring it back up to, you know, code or whatever it is. So basically, that our infrastructure is not crumbling. Here, let me give it to you by way of example. When you look at, for instance, water systems, they face $434 billion in needed spending. Biden is proposing $111 billion. Biden's saying, well, he's going to spend $100 billion on school modernization. But according to the ASCE, schools need about $380 billion. Bridges, certainly an important one. The backlog of bridge bridge repairs to keep them from collapsing, $125 billion. Biden is saying he's going to spend $115 billion on bridges and roads. So obviously some of the bridges won't get fixed unless someone else actually pays for them. Now, of course, some might say, well, yeah, of course, the federal government can't do it all. States, localities, aren't they going to do something? Well, perhaps, but we know not all states and localities have the same abilities uh, in terms of financial abilities. And ultimately, we know the types of areas that already get the short end of the stick, rural areas, poor areas, places where that overlaps, already get the short end of the stick on these things. So in a case like this, where there's underfunding from the federal government, we can all certainly be sure it will not be made up by states and localities, and that even to the extent they do, many communities will still be Left out, and there will be actual gaps remaining in safe, quality, critical services and infrastructure for everyone. You could also note things like Biden is proposing $174 billion in spending for electric car infrastructure, but only $85 billion for public transit. That's despite the fact that public transit is a much more effective way of actually lowering carbon emissions. I mean, you can put the infrastructure out there for electric cars, doesn't mean people are going to drive them. Certainly, More robust public transit will do a lot more, but There it is, $174 billion for electric car infrastructure, $85 billion for public transit. You could also note that he is proposing to spend $300 billion in research and development spending. Now, nothing objectionable with researching and developing things, but when we see how that's played out in the past, it means hundreds of billions of dollars of free research that is going to be mainly capitalized on by private business. I mean, we've seen this time and again. You know, the internet, look at what has happened uh, there developed mainly with public funds, and now our lives are completely at the mercy at a handful of super monopolies. You look at big pharma, huge role played by public research in developing pharmaceutical drugs, and we're all getting completely price gouged by them day in and day out. So you're spending $300 billion basically to have that same thing created over and over again. Free money from the government in order for big business to make profit down the road. Now, what happens with the package next is not quite clear, and some are predicting it could take some time perhaps months, to truly come to a vote. Even the most conservative Democrats, though, have agreed to pass something on a purely party-line vote. The White House has signaled it's going to make a push for Republican support, which will certainly mean watering down of the bill in some way, shape, or form, which is probably what it will take to get more conservative Democrats to vote without any Republican support. So the trend line here towards the White House's own negotiation strategy, and as we saw in the stimulus bill, will be towards weakening the bill. But nevertheless, there will be a Fight back. Uh, by you know the masses of people who are going to be demanding more happen. But also it seems some in Congress are willing to do something. Uh, we'll see how much they're willing to do. And it'll be a test of many of the, a lot of Congress people's rhetoric uh, to try to strengthen the bill in some way. Some of the big fights are almost certainly going to be around the $400 billion in the bill to improve long-term care for the elderly and the disabled, including raising the wages of home health care aides, which are just abysmal poverty wages, things around clean energy. But there's probably more around funding for public housing and other pieces that will also end up on the chopping block. So there's going to be a lot of big fights in this infrastructure bill over rationing, basically, uh, in the richest country in the history of countries, rationing the critical infrastructure needs uh, for everyone really here in the country. It's a big political element. So how it all ends up, we'll just have to see. But more than anything else, it just gives you a huge huge window into the true state of capitalist politics in America. You can spend unlimited trillions of dollars on war and militarism, and that can never be questioned. But when it comes to critical, actual, everyday needs, like keeping the bridges from collapsing and making sure that elderly people and disabled people can have a decent standard of living, it all comes down to seeing how few people you can allow to benefit. (laughs) Mozambique has recently re-entered global news in the past week as fighting has raged between armed groups over the past few days uh, and the government in the northern region of Cabo Delgado and a couple neighboring regions as well. Dozens of people were killed in a large battle in the city of Palma just a few days ago. That's what really brought it all to a head in terms of international news because there's huge major natural gas development space worth tens of billions of dollars uh, based there in Palma. So this huge fighting has rocketed Mozambique back into the consciousness of the world. And the armed group that took credit for it was ISIS, or ISIS's local affiliate, Ansar al-Suna, also known as al-Shabaab there locally in Mozambique. And of course, anything involving ISIS uh, could get a little bit more in the news here in the United States. And really, the attack captured world news since ISIS isn't much known for being active in Southern Africa. And the, there's a link also to international corporations, and it was also just a large-scale attack. But people in many ways were surprised. That's why it made news is what I'm saying. But The attack is part of a cycle of violence that has actually been running since 2017, uh, killing thousands and displacing hundreds of thousands. Maybe as many as 400,000 people have been uh, displaced. Maybe 4,000 people have been killed, but it's, it's not exactly known. The roots of the conflict, though, lie in the terrible social situation in these northern provinces. Now, uh, they're very resource rich, these northern provinces. They may be the richest in the country of Mozambique, yet the bulk of the population doesn't benefit. Even the president of the country has admitted that Cabo Delgado and a couple of these neighboring provinces have the highest levels of poverty in the country. And just one example recently of how skewed this is, and that one of these multi-billion dollar gas projects, which, by the way, received $4.4 billion in funding from the U.S. government, is creating more than seven times as many jobs in the U.S. and the U.K. as in Mozambique. Yes, seven times more jobs in the U.S. and the U.K. as in Mozambique from a $4 billion or more, $14 billion development in Mozambique. Now, militant groups have unsurprisingly thrived in this kind of situation. And of course, yes, they're offering financial incentives, they're offering people salaries, but they're also offering an alternative state-building strategy to the system that has so far deeply impoverished their region amidst uh, great, great, wealth and resources. The government has responded by using the military. They've also brought in mercenaries to fight back. Uh, They've largely failed to do anything more than just amplify the conflict. Of course, the US military uh, earlier this year has sent some trainers into the country to start training the military. So they're going with really a pure security response and continuing to pursue a style of uh, exploitation of resources that has fueled the conflict in the first place. But the U.S. especially is implicated in a much deeper way. The U.K. too, quite frankly. For most of the 1970s and 1980s, Mozambique had a communist government that focused on building up health, education, sharing the wealth of the country, some amazing experience, uh, experiments, I should say, and also experiences for sure, uh, in promoting women's rights, especially in rural areas, favoring group development over individual enrichment. That's the bottom line here. But the United States, in alliance with apartheid South Africa, the United Kingdom, other Western nations, did everything possible to destroy the government, including funding a brutal rebel insurgency, RENAMO, that, by the way, spent most of their time attacking the social gains uh, that were taking place, especially in rural areas of the country, healthcare installations, educations, projects promoting women's rights. That was what the U.S. was supporting there, people destroying the social fabric. And then after the fall of the Soviet Union, the U.S. imposed brutal shock therapy, capitalist reform- forms on Mozambique that produce deep corruption and an orientation in the economy away from people's needs, which has led us to the current situation of underdevelopment governing the conflict today. So a lot of complex issues going on here, but it really is the roots uh, deep in the Cold War reality and mentality of this country, the United States, to destroy governments that wanted to be oriented towards people's needs and the long-term legacy of that. So when you look at today's conflict in Mozambique and many other places like it, but certainly in Mozambique, it's important to note that it's not just an issue of Mozambique, it's not just an issue of that region, but it's really fruit from the poisoned U.S. imperial tree. The Guardian newspaper and Consumer Reports magazine have released the results of a nine month investigation into the quality of the nation's tap water. Their findings, well, all but two of the samples they took contained detectable levels of lead. More than 35% of samples had PFAS, potentially toxic, forever chemicals, and 8% contained arsenic over the safe level or so-called safe level. And these samples are connected to water systems that serve 19 million people. Now, the study certainly has some limitations. There's sort of points in time study, right? They're going to different parts of the area and taking them from the tap. But it does give a unique window into the challenges facing U.S. water systems uh, overall and certainly to some of the big problems that are facing them. And the stakes certainly are quite high here. I mean, for instance, the PFAS chemicals, the forever chemicals that seep into water, mainly from factories, landfills, things like that, are linked to learning disabilities in children, cancer, all sorts of other health problems. And again, 35% of the samples had levels exceeding safety thresholds of these chemicals that can cause learning disabilities, cancer, other health problems. Oh, and by the way, these chemicals not regulated by the EPA, no standards set for them. The recommended level by scientists of the PFAS chemicals is about five parts per trillion. Just to give you a sense of some of what The Guardian found in a church in Pittsburgh, North Carolina, they found 80.2 parts per trillion. Five, that's what they say is safe in scientific labs. 80, that's what this church had in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. And almost every sample the study found arsenic. And as mentioned, 8% are above what are deemed to be safe. But even those estimates may be too high since even low levels can be potentially harmful. Which is the same thing with lead, which is actually now widely acknowledged in the scientific community to have no safe level. And in fact... Low levels of exposure have been linked to damage. uh, Low levels of exposure in children, I should say, have been linked to damage to the central and peripheral nervous system, learning disabilities, shorter stature, impaired hearing, and impaired formation and function of blood cells. Yes, that's right. Even low levels of exposure of lead in children can do all of that. So, despite all the like action levels you may hear at federal and state levels, no safe level of lead. And again, in this study by The Guardian and Consumer Reports, all but two samples had detectable levels of lead, of which there is no safe level, even though it can poison children and ruin their health forever. And again, the study examined representative water systems around the country that serve 19 million people. There are, of course, ways to filter water, but the CDC notes that no water filter prevents all contaminants. So no matter what they're selling you over the counter there, it's not 100% safe. Really, if you want clean water, there have to be major changes at the level of major water systems, huge replacements of many things, including pipes. That also requires major investments. And right now, as we mentioned earlier, the president's plan for infrastructure is only funding $100 billion of the $434 billion need to make sure water systems don't have things like toxic cancer-causing chemicals, arsenic, and so on and so forth. So clearly, if you want clean water, You're going to have to fight for it. And that's going to do it for us here on The Punch Out. We'll be back with you tomorrow, tonight at BT Newsroom, across all your social media platforms, also on YouTube, 8 p.m. The Freedom Side will be back this Thursday. I will be joined by my new colleague, Rania Kalik, at 8 p.m. Eastern, as we always are. We're going to be going in-depth to our on-the-ground reports from Haiti, talking about everything we saw, everything that happened, Freedom Side, 8 p.m. Eastern, tonight, Thursday, April 1st, at BT Newsroom. will be back with you tomorrow 5 p.m. Eastern on The Punch Out.